Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Caleb Mayberry. I'm uh, part of the leadership uh, team at Sunset. Uh, it's good to be with you uh, and preach the word. Um, we are continuing our series in, uh, called Kingdom Come. Uh, what does it look like uh, when we let Jesus reign and rule uh, in every area of our lives? And, and today the, the focus in particular is in the topic of work or uh, vocation. I'm just going to open my notes here. All right. So when you think about work, uh, when you think about our perspective on work, uh, do you work to live or do you live to work? Do you work to live or do you live to work? And your answer to this question uh, says something about how you value work. And there are two different, very different ways of, of looking at work or thinking about work. If you work to live, the, the general idea is that uh, work is a means to an end. Work is a, a necessary evil, something that you have to do to uh, get the money you need to do the thing you really want to do. Do you work to live? Right? Mondays are the worst. Fridays offer all the promise of a better day. Or do you live to work? And this is the idea that, that the point of life uh, is to find the thing, find the job, the vocation, the work that will fulfill your deepest longings. This is the thing that will make you feel whole. And so for you, Mondays are the best and weekends are just about daydreaming about how you're going to do and perform on Monday. Do you work to live or do you live to work? And my guess is that most of us find ourselves leaning towards one perspective or the other. And, and as we continue our series titled Kingdom Come, we're going to answer the question, what happens when Jesus rules and reigns in the area of work and vocation? Are we more inclined to work to live or are we more inclined to live to work? And what I want to submit to you this morning is that both perspectives are fundamentally flawed. It's neither. And the passage that I want to go to this morning is in Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. And, and the reason why I selected this passage is because it is a picture of uh, the future, the new heavens, the new creation. And in this picture, there's work. And so it's going to help us to understand what does work look like in the context of God's design in creation and then in new creation. And I hope this will help us to find and understand uh, the balance between those two extremes of living to work and working to live. So turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 65. And if you are following along in the Pew Bible, it is page 644. 
Isaiah chapter 65 and verses 17 through 25. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Now the summary of the points I want to make today are as follows. Work is more important than you think. That's point number one. Point number two is, work is less important than you think. And point number three is, God's work redeems our work by redeeming our worth. That's the third point. Point number one, God's work is more important than you think. Some people treat work as a means to an end. Work is, is never the point, right? It's the bridge you have to cross over to get to the destination where you want to be. Work is like vegetables on the way to a milkshake. <laughs> Work is like the ads or the commercials you have to watch to see the content you really want to see. How many of you use YouTube and, and you, you're trying to skip as quick as you can right, through those advertisements? And the worst is when you have to watch the whole thing. How many of you would, would love a skip work button for your week, right? <laughs> you arrive on Monday, you're like, how many hours do I need to work before I can just push the skip button? Some of us treat work as not important at all. It is the thing we need to do to do the things we really want to do. And most of us, at least at certain times in our lives, can relate to this. And I want you to know when I'm talking about work, I'm not just envisioning a guy with his briefcase who goes into the office and sits at his cubicle all day. Uh, work is a broad term, an inclusive term. So work is both inside the home and outside the home. Work is both paid and unpaid. Uh, all of us are called to work. And so when I talk about work, uh, everyone is implicated in here. And maybe you've been in a place where you've thought, 
Uh, if I can just get through this day, if I can just get through this week, if I can just get through this month, if I can just get through this project, this job, this child, right? If, if I can just get through this, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be content. Then I can relax and have fun. Some people have this idea that heaven is all play and no work. And the problem with that idea is it's, it's just not biblical. It's not what we see in Scripture. Um, in fact, the Bible is very clear that heaven includes work. And we see this in this passage. In Isaiah uh, chapter 65, the first uh, a couple of verses in 17. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice in forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem. So here we see God himself is working. He's creating just like he created in the beginning. He is continuing to create. He's recreating. God continues to work. And furthermore, we go forward and we see there's a pattern of restoration that happens as we see uh, joy uh, is replaced, uh, or sorry, crying and weeping is replaced by joy and death is replaced by life. And as we get to verse 21, we see uh, several forms of work. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And in verse 23, we see that uh, labor will not be in vain. Now keep in mind, this is the new creation. This is what God is aiming for. This is what he will do. And so heaven, whatever your idea of heaven is, must be informed by what God says. It includes work. Work is part of us. And this shouldn't be a surprise if we know the whole story. In the beginning, Genesis 1.28, God says this. Sorry, I'm just going to, I must have went back. Oh. <laughs> Pardon me. So I'm not, I'm not used to this, all this remote stuff. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 through 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Male and female are created by God in the image of God and given what some commentators call this the cultural mandate, dominion over the earth, to subdue it, to bring order, to be fruitful, to increase, to multiply, to produce. This is God's design. He's given us work. Later in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 15, he says that, uh, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. This was before sin, before the fall. God gave work. Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 17 says, 
uh, in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus works because his father works, and we work because he works. This is by design. We are created in the image of God, and therefore, uh, all work is spiritual in the sense that it is given by God, and we work in obedience to how He has designed us. Therefore, all work is spiritual. Sweeping up um, uh, uh, bed bugs. Some people will know what I'm talking about. It's spiritual. Cleaning up baby poop is spiritual. Like the things that sometimes we don't think are spiritual are spiritual because it's work that God has given us to do. You might say, but what about my boring cubicle job where I copy and paste numbers in the spreadsheet all day long? What about the widgets that I make to make already rich people richer? Like what about... What about the drudgery that I feel in the day-to-day mundane things of life? Is that spiritual? Is that that all work is meant to be? If this work is supposed to be God-given, why doesn't it feel rewarding? And the Bible speaks to this. We see it in this very passage, verse 22 in chapter 65. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. There's this idea that sometimes the work of our hands doesn't produce the intended effect. We, we, we put our heart and soul into something and we don't get to experience and enjoy the fruit of it. Right? That's the reality of, of this life oftentimes. And, and this, is, this comes from um, the garden. It comes from our original parents, Adam and Eve. When, when they chose to unfollow God, we experience the consequences of what it means to not follow Him. And God said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 17 through 19, because you listened to your wife, he says to Adam, and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Ever since we decided to go our own way, what we experience is the fruits of what that is. Work becomes harder, work becomes arduous. There's a toil to life that's there that's rooted in our choosing to go away from God. And so that's why work is hard. That's why work isn't always the dream you thought it would be. It doesn't produce the things that you would hope it would produce all the time. Does work ever feel arduous? Does it ever feel toilsome to you? 
I know it does for me. It's important, however, to understand that work itself is not a punishment. Work itself is a gift given by God. It's the punishment is the, the toilsomeness of work. It's the, it's the difficulty, the futility of work that's the punishment. Work itself is good. And although we can recognize the futility of work, most of us have probably experienced the satisfaction of a job well done. I remember growing up, I, I never really loved to mow the lawn. In fact, I hated it. But every two weeks, I would mow the lawn, and, and at the end of the day, usually it was evening time, because I'd try to postpone as long as possible, I would look at the job I did, and I would go, well, you know what, that looks really good. And it was satisfying. And, and have you ever stopped to think that, that God does the same thing? If we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God saw all that he made, and it was very good. You see, work is a reflection of who we are, who we've been created to be in the image of God, that God creates, and he looks at his creation, he says, this is good, this pleases me, this satisfies me. And God, in his grace, gives us these glimpses, these moments, even in the difficulty and the futility of work, to see that we can create, we can love, we can serve, and it is good. And it's pleasing, and it's satisfying, and it's rewarding, even in the midst of the difficulty. And so work is more important than we think, oftentimes. But you all know my second point. Work is also less important than we think. Despite the beauty of work, despite the rewards that we do get in work, work is not everything. And that's my second point. Work is less important than you think. And note that I'm, I'm speaking uh, to the imbalance of two major perspectives of work. And the first point I was speaking to those who tend to under-spiritualize work. But now I'm turning my attention to those who tend to over-spiritualize work. I don't work to live, but rather I live to work. And some people believe that in order to have purpose and meaning in life, in order for their deepest longings to be fulfilled, you have to find the, the perfect job or the, the perfect vocation, the one that utilizes all of your gifts and skills, the one that uh, invigorates your passions. And so we go on this endless quest to pursue this work that will give us this fulfillment. If I'm honest, I lean in this direction. This resonates with me. Right? We say things like, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. That's not true. <laughs> but we, it sounds nice, right? It sounds aspirational. It sounds like, let me find that job. Let me find that work. We tend to have an overly romanticized view of our dream job. 
Growing up, I wanted to be a, an NBA player, so we'll leave that aside, but <laughs> I'll, I'll do something more relatable. When I was uh, around 20, I felt like the Lord was, was calling me to preach someday, to be a pastor. And um, for many years, I worked uh, in technology, regular corporate job, working in big companies and feeling like a small cog in a big machine. And, and I never felt, oh, this is not really satisfying. This is not really what God has created me to do. And so I, I was looking for the time, the right timing when God would put me in a place where I could be a pastor, where I could preach and I could do the spiritual work that, that God had really created me to do that would fulfill me and, and make me feel worthy. I didn't say that. But that, at some level, was what I was thinking. Lo and behold, God opened an opportunity for me to become a pastor. And in my dream, my vision of it was me sitting in a coffee shop, sipping a, a nice latte with my Bible open, preparing an impactful sermon. As a former co-worker walks in, I say, I'm, I'm serving the Lord. Would you come to church and see me preach? And he comes to church and he's like, that was a good word, brother. That was my dream. That actually did happen. I actually did see a former co-worker while I was sipping coffee, reading the Bible. I invited him to church, and he did come to church, and he said that was a good service. But that wasn't the totality of what being a pastor was. With it, I found there was still futility. With it, I found there were still times where I worked really hard, and I didn't see the fruit that I thought I would see. Or there were times where I didn't work as hard as my passion, my stated passion would indicate. And so the job itself failed me. And my own shortcomings failed me. It did not fulfill me. And the problem, the danger with this perspective, when we, when we, uh, when we live to work, is we elevate work to a place it's not meant to have. Work is a terrible savior. Work is a terrible master. If we serve work, we will be condemned by the very work we feel will save us. Work is less important than you think. So here I am preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. Work is less important than you think if you're looking to work to fulfill your soul's deepest longings. The good news is that even when we don't work rightly, God does. Our work is imperfect and faulty, but God's work is perfect and true. And it's God's work that fulfills the deepest longings of our heart. And this brings me to my third point. God's work redeems our work by redeeming our worth. God's work redeems our work by redeeming our worth. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is from Luke chapter 4, verses 16. I'll put it up on the screen here. And uh, it's this cool story where Jesus is, he's in the synagogue and he gets up to read. And I'll read the passage. 
he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it's such a powerful passage to me because I I just picture myself in the audience and this person who who you've seen before, but he's not just worldwide known yet, stands up like any other person would stand up and read the scriptures. Only this time, he does something no one has ever done before. He says, today, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine that? The backdrop being Israel, an oppressed nation for years and years and years, under the yoke of slavery, under the yoke of oppressive rulers. rulers. Jesus stands up and says, I'm the one. I'm the anointed one who's going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and it's happening now. The, the reason why I bring this scripture up is because Jesus is quoting Isaiah. Isaiah's prophesying of an anointed figure who would bring about the restoration of all things. And, and as we go back to Isaiah chapter 65, though it doesn't mention Uh, explicitly this anointed one, it alludes to another passage where it's very clear. You can see in verse 25 of Isaiah 25, yeah, Isaiah 65, verse 25, and then also Isaiah chapter 11, there's very similar language talking about the wolf and the lamb will feed together, um, and then there will be neither harm uh, nor just... uh, Oh, yeah, so they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains. So this, this, uh, this picture of peace that we see in both passages. In Isaiah 11, we see it talks about the, the shoot or the offspring of Jesse, which is this anointed figure, that the Spirit is upon this figure, so that when Jesus quotes chapter 61 of Isaiah, he is placing himself squarely as that anointed figure who will do all of these things, including the restoration of all of creation, which includes work. Jesus is the one who redeems our work because he is restoring the new creation. Now, it's important to understand that Jesus doesn't redeem work by merely creating new landscaping in this new creation. 
You get what I'm saying? He's, he's not simply uh, recreating things new because the, 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 the plants weren't in the right order, the animals weren't configured correctly, or the cities weren't aligned properly. What he's doing is he's coming to change people. That's the first thing, the most important thing that Jesus does. And we see that in uh, the passage here, 65 verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people to be a joy. The, the change that Jesus is bringing is to change people's hearts so that we would be a joy. This is the work that Jesus is doing. In other words, in other words Jesus is the cause of this change. And the, the secret to understanding the Scriptures is to know that the scriptures, the Bible, is all about Jesus. Jesus himself says this in the passage that um, Pastor Andrew alluded to last week, Luke 24, 27. Jesus, on the road, he, he goes through the Moses and the prophets and he explains everything about himself in the scriptures. Jesus says in John 5, 39 that uh, he's talking to the Pharisees, you diligently search the scriptures for eternal life, not knowing that they are about me. The scriptures are about Jesus. The story is about Jesus. Our work is about Jesus. And Jesus redeems our work by first redeeming our worth. And he does that through the best and most important and the greatest work ever. How many of you have had a boss who loves to tell you what to do but never does anything himself? How many of you have had that boss? And, and then will take credit for the stuff that you do, right? God is not that boss. God is not the boss that says, I'm going to tell you what to do. He says, you know what? I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to come down and I'm going to do the work that you could not do so that you receive full acceptance by God. You are loved, you are accepted by the work of Jesus to come into our lives, to show us the way, to die for our sins, to die for our rebellion, for the mistakes we've made, and to give us a new place in his kingdom that, is, that he alone is recreating. And that we could say we will be we will be the people of joy. Can you imagine that? We will be the people of joy. And Jesus says, some of us this morning are tired of working. Work seems like drudgery. Work seems hard. Maybe, uh, maybe you're overwhelmed by work right now. Maybe you're underwhelmed by work right now. Maybe you're overwhelmed by work that you're unpacking because of hurt and sin and pain from others. Wherever you are this morning, Jesus says, come to him. In Matthew verse, or chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to him. 
And if, if there's anything I want to leave you with this morning, it's to go to Jesus. Whatever burdens you've been feeling, whatever uh, anxiety you've been feeling, maybe you're in between jobs, maybe you don't know what to do, maybe you've been thinking, I can find the perfect thing that will give me fulfillment. Uh, it's just not true. But the one who can give you fulfillment is Jesus. He can take your burdens because he's big enough. He can take your anxiety. He's strong enough. And you can walk with him and have the rest, the peace that only he can offer. What I want to do is, is close with a few, four practical applications. Four practical uh, applications for that, that, that really come out of, of understanding that it's really Christ's work that redeems us, that frees us to then work out of a new identity created in him. But four practical uh, applications. Number one, and this is speaking probably to the person who uh, works to live, Think about work as if God is your boss. Think about work as if God is your boss. What does that mean? Um, if you're working, oftentimes, if someone is looking, right, uh, you're more motivated to do work. Does anyone relate to that? <laughs> I do. Um, the truth is, uh, God is always looking. And these are going to be short. God is always there. He's always looking. He's always around. And the truth is, he really is our boss. Like, he's our creator. And so work as if God is your boss. So there's a diligence that we can apply when we understand that God is always present. Number two, think about work as if you're serving specific people. This has been really helpful for me over the years, especially if you're in a job where you feel like you're a cog in a big machine, right? And, and you're just doing something that seems really mundane. And maybe, maybe the big picture is not that motivating, like making widgets to make a company richer, like that doesn't really make me motivated. But in most jobs, at some level, you're serving another human being. And so you can break it down and at a real practical level. Like this spreadsheet, right, is serving someone because they need that data to do what they need to do. And it's a witness that we can be in our workplaces and not just office places, but at home, whatever it is. The small tasks that we might think are mundane can really be meaningful and impactful as a way of demonstrating love to others. So think of work as if you're serving specific people. So name that person that you're serving. And I, I think that's a helpful tip on how to um, stay motivated. Number three, don't spend all your time thinking about finding uh, the perfect job. Don't spend all your time thinking. This is speaking to the person who lives to work. Right? It's, it's not helpful. There's a, there's a passage and I encourage you to read it. It's 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. Uh, and, and one part of that, Paul says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. And even to the point where he says, uh, if you're a slave, like, it's okay. Like, sure, try to get out of it if you can, but, but don't let it 
Don't let it uh, ruin you. And, and, and a story that I like is, is the story of Joseph. If, if, if you remember, Joseph had some dreams. He was going to be a ruler and a king, right? And, and, and that was actually true. But it took a while to get to that place. He had to go through slavery, imprisonment for years before he finally became the ruler. And so my encouragement to us, if you're, if you're in that season of thinking, oh, I'm not really doing what God has called me to, like, don't worry about it. God will move you to where he wants you to be. Be who, who you are in Christ, where you are right now, and don't worry about it. Number four, and most importantly, remind yourself regularly of the good news that your worth is rooted in Christ's work and not yours. Remind yourself regularly of the good news that your worth is rooted in Jesus' work and not your own work. And here's the thing. This is, as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, this is what Paul was warning the Galatians. You read Galatians, right? Foolish Galatians, having started by the Spirit, are you now continuing in your own flesh? We are susceptible. We are prone to sometimes thinking, okay, I got the gospel down, and now I'm going to work it out on my own strength. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to justify myself by how well I perform, how well I do the church thing, how well I excel in the workplace, how well I parent my children, how great a wife or a husband I am. And if, if we're not careful, if we don't remind ourselves daily of the good news, we can find ourselves being burdened and overwhelmed by a burden that's not meant to be placed on our shoulders. It's meant to be placed on the shoulders of Christ. And so that's a fourth practical thing. Was it, it's practical because it means, like, it means opening up your Bible. It means being in community, reminding yourselves, ourselves of, of God's goodness, his grace. It means praying and asking God for help when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel anxious, when we feel like we don't have direction in our work. And so that's the fourth uh, practical application. I'm going to pray for us. And then afterwards, uh, Pastor Andrew's going to lead us through communion. Father, I, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I know that, that in my flesh I'm not worthy. But Father, I thank you that you sent your son to die for me and to die for us, that you have declared me worthy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that I don't have to earn my salvation, that I don't have to prove my place in this world. And so, Lord, I just ask that, that you and your spirit would speak to each one of us this morning, would meet us where we're at, would, would come into our hearts in such a way that we would magnify your grace, that we would magnify your work for us, and that would transform how we view work, Lord, that we would not see it as, as unspiritual, but we would not over-spiritualize it. But we would see it as a gift that you've given us as part of how you created us. We thank you for Jesus. We pray that you would help us to walk in faithfulness by your power and strength. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.